one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Strength to Strength. Um, one of our purposes is to, in our, that we, that we state is to advance Jesus' kingdom by tackling thought-provoking topics, and I believe this will be a thought-provoking topic here this morning, and I'm looking forward to having Brother Lamar share um, on being church together, the weak and the strong. And so, yeah, welcome here. And I think we will start out with with a, with a word of prayer here this morning before we start. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this new day. And I just pray that you would bless this virtual gathering as we uh, think about um, how, to, how to do church together, being church together, um, the weak and the strong, the challenges of that. Bless Brother Lamar as he as he shares that. And I pray, God, that your that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in the different assemblies that are represented here uh, in this in this gathering. And I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to press into into being the gathering that you that you want us to be and to to prove by our love to each other that we are your disciples. I just pray your blessing and guidance in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, um, so we will have a time for a question and answer at the, at the end or question response as the case may be. And um, you can keep your you can, you can think about that as as Lamar shares and Go ahead, Lamar. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Good morning to all of you from Waynesboro. Good to be here this morning. And so I was asked to share on here. The reason why I said yes, I'm willing to share is because um, I was asked to speak about an aspect of relationships. And to me, speaking about relationships is something I actually really enjoy doing. It's one of the um, one of my more favorite things to discuss or talk about in the Christian life. I don't think it's the only important thing, but I think it is a important thing. And on practical terms, it's something that's really important to me personally, because um, from my perspective, I don't care what how perfect your theology is or how down pat your perspective on missions are or whatever. If you can't get along with other people, it's all kind of a waste. And um, Jesus very clearly taught that this is how others are going to know that you're my disciples, because you have love for each other. You get along with each other. So um, I'm looking at one very narrow aspect of that this morning. There's a lot of different aspects to um, getting along with other people, but I want to look at one one particular part of that this morning, the weak and the strong being church together. So just want to start by reading in Romans uh, 14. I'm going to read Romans chapter 14 and then the first part of 15 and then um, share some thoughts based off of that. Romans 14, verse one, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks, God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. 
for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things Sorry, therefore, let us pursue the things which make make for peace and the things by which one day one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Proceeding into chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I assume for most of those, that's not the first time you have heard those verses. It's actually a fairly common passage. But I always read that and would just sort of have this thought, what does it what does it mean to support the weak? How, what do we how do we bear the burdens of the weak and um, kind of avoid offending, uh, offending others? And just had a lot of questions about what all that meant. It mentions that other places in Scripture in Acts 20, 35, it says you must support the weak. First Corinthians 8, 7. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom christ died but when you you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience you sin against christ First Corinthians nine twenty two to the weak, I become as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might be some, by some means save some. And in Thessalonians it says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint hearted, uphold the weak, be patient to all. So the only point that I'm making is that this concept of supporting the weak and um, lifting people up is obviously scattered throughout Scripture. It's not just a one off occurrence. So when the word weak is used in Scripture, I believe there's I have three different ways that it's used. 
The first is to be weak or feeble without strength or powerless. It, it's, it's just kind of, um, kind of powerless. The next means to be weak, weak and means, which in other words, like material things, you're needy or poor. And last of all, to be feeble or sick. And one of the things that I found interesting is that when it says in numerous places in the gospels that Jesus healed someone's infirmities, it's actually using the same word that is weak, um, in Romans 14 and these other passages that I've been reading. So <clears throat> I feel like this whole concept um, of bearing each other's burdens is a very important one. Like I said, I believe it's how others know that we are of Christ. I believe it's just a key part to being the Christian church. If we can't figure out how to get along with each other, then we aren't really being an effective church. So how do the weak and strong be church together? First of all, I want to think of just kind of a couple different points to emphasize the importance of this. One is I, I was thinking about it in relation to Romans 8 where it talks about the curse. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So um, it was kind of a, a thought that I hadn't connected with this passage about being weak before. But when you think about us being in this in this creation that is groaning in birth pangs and, and we know that everything is cursed and we're looking forward to a better time. I like to think of it as though we as human beings are um, <clears throat> are in this um, in this common tragedy together. And so it's sort of a, a matter of collective survival to bear one another's burdens and to lift each other up. You can think of a lot of different analogies of catastrophes. And one I like to think of is being in a boat that is leaking. So you have to bail water. You have a group of people in a boat. There's water coming in. You have to bail water out of it. And <clears throat> the example I like to give is that not everyone is going to be capable of bailing the same amount of water. Some people might be able to just slowly put small bucketfuls out. Some big, strong person might be able to might be able to bail lots of buckets out. The point is, Everyone's survival depends on everyone else doing what they can. It's not a matter of all doing an equal part or all doing the same part. It's a matter of each person doing what they can. So I like to think of that when it comes to the weak and the strong being church together, that it's a matter of each of us bearing with each other so we can all make it to the end, that we can all survive and get to the end without without losing anyone. It says in Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So um, there's a saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When it comes to relationships, I think an ounce of prevention is a met, worth a metric ton of cure. It's, it says in Proverbs that a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. So I'm not sure how many of you have ever gone out and tried conquering a strong city. I haven't, but I assume it's, I assume it's a challenge. <clears throat> Jesus also says something real interesting to me that I think emphasizes the importance of all this. It says in Matthew 29, 9, in 24 9 sorry then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another so that was jesus speaking of the end times i'm not sure exactly what he i'm not sure exactly what all he meant by that but i do take out of that that when we get closer to the end times we're going to face challenges and circumstances tribulations is what jesus calls them that are going to strain relationships it says that um, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So I don't know what all that means, but I would say the best antidote to that is learning to bear with each other now and learning to support the weak.
um, before we face those tribulations. So when I read these verses, the first question I have is, what does this actually look like in real life? What is a weakness? Uh, another question I always had is, are we just simmered down to sort of the lowest common denominator? Just a, a sum of our collective weaknesses tiptoeing around each other where I, each each individual has certain things that offend them, certain things that are a big deal to them. So we just all tiptoe around each other. And as a as a collective group of Christians, we're just simmered down to the to the um, lowest common denominator, which is our collective weaknesses. The other question that obviously pops up really early on in the consideration is, am I weak or am I strong? Which am I? So I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think some people do tend, generally tend to be stronger and some generally weaker. But I think it's better to think about a situation by situation rather than person by person. In any given scenario, you may be the weak one or you may be the strong one. We all have our weak points. We all have our, our strong points. So one example I think of for that is between my wife and I. Sometimes I come home from work. I have three boys, by the way, three young boys that have lots of energy. Sometimes when I come home from work, my wife has had a big busy day. She's had about as much as she can take. And it's it's up to me to help bear her burden and be the stronger one, in quotes, that um, helps entertain the boys, absorb their energy, absorb their rowdiness. There's other times that I've had a big day at work and I'm feeling kind of um, at the end of the road myself. And maybe my wife hasn't had such a busy day and she can absorb it. So the point that I'm making is that in my mind, I think being weak or strong isn't just isolated to this person is a strong person. That person is a weak person. I think it's better to think about it situation by situation. And um, the other thing you need to remember is that I think that every single one of us in our lives has people that are stronger than us and has people that are weaker than us. So if we view life through that lens, we realize that there's people we need to, I think all of us have a responsibility to help hold others up. And we also have a responsibility to, um, to remember that we're, we may be the weaker vessel and have the humility that it takes to, to realize that Jesus gave a good definition to what it means to bear with the weak in Matthew 12, 15, it says, um, just kind of breaking in the middle here, it says, he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a, flo- a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. So I just really like the picture there that a smoking flax will not be quenched, a bruised reed will not be broken. I think that's, um, I think that's exactly what we're supposed to be striving for as fellow Christians, not breaking the others around us. So what, in what areas can we be weak? I think it includes a lot of different things. It's more than just spiritually. We can be weak spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally. And I think all those things tie together very closely. And we need to remember that they're all interconnected. It's not just, we can't just isolate spiritual weakness as one specific area. If someone is feeling emotionally or physically weak it's going to have an effect how they respond to things and what they do and all these different aspects of life physical tiredness emotional tiredness all these things can ultimately affect a person's spiritual well-being a couple other questions i have is is the weak referred to in the bible the same as sensitive versus insensitive is it the same as easily offended versus forgiving and flexible is it optimistic versus pessimistic is it opinionated versus flexible I don't really have answers to these questions. I'm just trying to provoke thought about exactly what these scriptures are referring to, what they mean. Sometimes I think of a three-year-old throwing a tantrum, laying on the floor, 
screaming and kicking and trying to get their way. And I've been in some situations in life where I look at it and say, is being weak just the adult version of that child throwing a tantrum on the floor? To be clear, I don't think it is, but that's just a that's just a question I'm raising. How's it how's it different than that? What is what is being talked about here together? I already talked a little bit about this idea of sort of collective survival, bearing one another's burdens, but I want to look at that a little bit more. So um, when we think of what it means to bear the curse together or bear one another's burdens, I like to think of climbing out of the twin towers. Imagine imagine you're in these towers that have fallen, you're buried in this rubble. Some in that situation were too weak to carry themselves out. They laid there completely helpless. Others could walk out themselves, but they could carry no one else with them. Maybe there was someone that was strong enough to literally carry another person out, or maybe you could only carry half a person. Each of you could together could carry someone out. So once again, the idea is each person doing what they can and bearing what they can bear. A couple of thoughts that I have in relation to that. One is I think it's very important to remember that we need to deal with things as they are rather than as we think they should be. So sometimes I've seen scenarios where I, I feel like someone got offended and the person that offended them says, well, they should have been able to handle that. That shouldn't have offended them. But I would just like to make the point that we need to deal with what is and not what we think should be. The question isn't what should the person be able to bear? The question is, what can they bear? Not what should they be able to bear? And there's, there sometimes can be a big, big difference. I have a little object lesson here. It might take me a second to get it in front of the camera, but I have, let me just zoom out here a bit if I can. So I'm not sure if you can see this well on camera or not. I have two, I have two little creatures or characters, characters here with me. So one is made out of plastic. He's very flexible. See how I can bend him and he springs back. Sorry, I lost his face. <laughs> Anyway, he's he's very flexible. He can spring right back. This one is really rigid. It's a dowel rod. It's wooden for those of you that can't see what I'm talking about. So um, if I would bend this too far, it would snap. I'm not ready to do that yet because I'm not done with him. But I think that in a lot of ways, this is how life looks. Some people can just handle more than others. They can literally bend over backwards to, to accommodate someone else's needs or preferences. Some people can bend more than others. But there's an aspect to this thing that is missing, and that's what I'm going to call the relationship. So I'm worried that you're not going to be able to see it very good on camera here, but I have a string, and I'm tying a string between these two um, these two things that I have. And this is what I'm going to call the relationship between the two people. So if you're just looking at these things as isolated materials and saying which one is weak and which one is strong, that's one question. But I think a lot of times in life when we're dealing with other people – we forget this aspect of the relationship between us. So um, when we when we relate to each other, when I wiggle on this one, it wiggles the other one as well. There's a connection there. It's not just we aren't just living as isolated beings that we can do whatever we want without affecting other people. So sometimes when we are thinking about what a person could handle or should handle or whatever, it can be tempting to forget about this relationship and think, oh, well, I can say this or that to the other person. And it shouldn't offend them. But as what a lot of us forget is that the string here, we have to think about how strong a relationship is. If I need to speak into this brother's life, maybe I say something harsh and it might not break him. It might not. He might not literally bend over until he breaks. But we all have sort of this survival mechanism where I think we can tell when someone's getting ready to break us. And usually this relationship is going to snap before the actual individual does. 
which to me is just as serious as actually breaking the person. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So the point that I'm making is if you break a relationship with someone because you are not thoughtful about what that relationship can take, that's a very serious issue. And that's something that is not good. The other thing that I would like to think about is um, that the stronger this connection is here, the worse you can hurt another person. So if this is a weak connection, maybe you don't have a very good relationship with something, someone, you say something harsh to them and it just breaks the relationship. You both move on. You lost that person's, that person's relationship, but no one was really hurt that badly because of it. It wasn't a strong relationship to begin with. If this was just a small sewing thread, I could lean way over and the string would just eventually break. But the, the closer connected you are to someone, the worse you're going to be able to hurt them, the stronger thread there's going to be here. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be closely connected with people because I only have two characters here. But imagine if this were a whole network of relationships. I had a whole bunch of pedestals here with with people on them and relationships between them. Imagine a whole network. And if you pull on one string, it's going to be pulling additional strings over here. That has two lessons I would like to take from it. One is that what you do, probably if you offend one person, you're probably offending multiple people that are connected to that person. Secondly, if you have strong relationships, it's going to help stabilize you. You're going to be more stable in life. If you have, if this weak brother right here had other strings connected out to other people holding him up, if he would get tugged on over here, it wouldn't matter so much. He would, he would be held up by other, other connections and other relationships. So I think it's very important to be connected to other people. The other thing that I think we need to remember is that sometimes we can feel like we're just bending over backwards. This, this, this character here, I'm not sure how well you can see it, but this character here can completely bend over backwards. Sometimes they might feel like we're just bending over backwards, accommodating someone. And this rigid person just stands here and seems to not even appreciate how much we're bending over backwards for them. But the thought that I have in relation to that is that some of the weakest people will be the least able to see their own weakness. And so when we want to bear with one another, when we want to um, hold up the weak, we need to remember that, that it's not a matter of being fair and equal. The weakest people are going to be the least able to understand in what ways they are weak. And it's up to us as, as a stronger person to help bear with that individual. <clears throat> I'll probably bring them back here in a little bit, but that's that's all I wanted to share with them at the moment. So. Another question I have is, do Christians always need to avoid offending anyone? What does Paul mean when he says, give no offense in anything? It says in Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 5.11, he kind of, I think, adds some details to this of what it can mean to offend someone. And whether we just always need to avoid offending someone. It says in Galatians 5.11, and I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So he talked about the offense of the cross there. Matthew 15.12 um, it says of Jesus and his disciples came and said to him, do you know what, do you know why that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying, but he said, sorry, but he answered and said, every plant, which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Reading a quote that I really appreciated. It says, although we cannot keep people from getting offended, we should make sure that it is the truth that offends rather than our attitude, actions or approach. We must follow biblical principles in all areas of life. 
At times, offending is wrong, and at other times, it is necessary. As we spread the truth of God's word, we should do so in love, humility, and boldness, making sure we are living by the truth. So the point is, um, in answer to my question, is it always wrong to offend somebody? I think that there's cases where people will be offended. Let's just make sure it's the truth that is offending them and not we ourselves. And also make sure that you aren't using that as an excuse to not do your part to bear with the weak. You can't just say, well, it's the truth. And so um, so you shouldn't be offended by it. It makes sure that your attitudes, actions and your approach is not the cause of the offense. In relation to that, I want to think a little bit about love and admonition. It says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. And I think very common verse in first Corinthians gives a good definition to what it means to speak the truth in love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's a really powerful definition of love. And so if you think about what it means to speak the truth in love, think of that set of verses. It says in 2 Timothy 2 that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It says in Galatians six, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So once again, when you're helping someone, helping to restore someone who has fallen spiritually. Remember to be gentle. Don't forget the relationship. You don't want to break the relationship um, before you help the person. So I want to look at a couple of reminders. First of all, a set of reminders for the weak and a set of reminders for the strong. So if you think you're weak, just remember, well, first of all, if you think you're strong, remember that we all take our turn being weak. I'm not speaking, I'm speaking to all of you. There's times where each of us are the weak person. And we need to understand that. So if you're taking your turn being the weak person, be honest with yourself when you're being the weak one. This will be helpful. This will help you be thankful to those who are taking up slack for you. Like I said, sometimes the people that are actually feeling the weakest at the moment are the least able to appreciate how others are bending to help them. So um, if you are have the humility to be honest with yourself and understand that you're being the weak one, it will help you be thankful for the people around you. It will also keep you from offending the strong person by being unthoughtful about the ways they are bending for you. So even if someone is strong, they still have a breaking point. They can still be offended. And if you're being weak, try not to be unthoughtful about the way other people are are bending for you and, and bending to your wishes and offending them in the process. Another reminder for the week, if you're faking weakness to be manipulative and get your way, which I call big person's pouting, then shame on you. May God be your judge. It takes a lot of wisdom and discernment. Sometimes people are actually weak. They're they're struggling. They're reaching their breaking point, and we really need to help them. Other times, I think it's possible to use this this whole thing just to be manipulative and get your own way. That's obviously not what we're talking about. Reading another quote: um, How can I learn not to take offense at little things? 
So if you're, if you feel like you're the weak person, how can you kind of grow in being a bit stronger and taking offense at things? It says, trying not to take offense is like trying not to think about elephants. If someone says, don't think about elephants, we automatically think about them. If we focus on trying not to take offense, we will keep thinking about the offense. For many people, the tendency to take offense at little things is rooted in a false perspective of security. We all desire security and safety. We desire the good opinion of others. We secure those good opinions with performance, what we do, how we speak, how we dress, how we express ourselves, etc. When our security is based on our performance, we may feel threatened when someone expresses something negative about us. The natural response to that threat is to take offense or become angry. Even a casual, flippant, or offhand remark can gnaw at us and steal our peace. The way to prevent taking offense is to address our desire for security. As long as our feelings for security are rooted in ourselves, the tendency to take offense, even at little things, will exist. If, however, our feelings of security are not rooted in ourselves or our performance or our, our perspective will change, and our response to the actions and comments of others will become more balanced. I found that I found that quote helpful in thinking about how not to take offense. Now I want to look at a couple reminders for the strong. Once, a, once again, remember your own moments of weakness. Maybe it's your turn to be the strong person in the situation, but remember that you have your own moments of weakness. Don't get inflated. And remember that even if you are generally a stronger person instead of a weaker person, you didn't choose your own makeup. Also, if you're the strong person in the situation, fight the urge to view life through the end lens of fairness and equalness. The bottom line is life isn't fair and equal. Different talents have been given to other people. Some people, I believe, are actually called to bear more than others. Remember the illustrations I've given of collective survival. If you're all in a boat bailing water together, it's not a matter of being fair and equal. It's a matter of doing what you can do and doing what God has enabled you to do. So if you're the strong person, don't view lens the life through the lens of fairness and equalness. There's also kind of this paradox that the stronger you get, the more you will be obligated to bear for your weaker brothers. The stronger you are, the more you're obligated to carry. Secondly, being strong-willed and uncooperative is not being strong. So when I was talking about being weak, I said that just being manipulative and doing big person's pouting is not what we're talking about. And the same goes for this, that being uncooperative and just sort of bullheaded about things is, is not being a strong person. That's not what we're talking about. Once again, that's just manipulating people. The most fragile people are going to be the least able to appreciate that you're bending for them. Have you ever had moments in life where you felt like you were just, you, you were the stronger person just bending over backwards for someone and there was someone else that you feel, um, feel like you were really trying to accommodate and yet they're so sensitive and fragile about things, talk about how much they're bearing. Or maybe, um, just thinking again of how this can vary by situation from one situation to the next. Maybe, um, I don't know, at our, at our church, we have a lot of fellowship meals and the, we really enjoy those. There's a big, ble- they're a big blessing. The negative to that there is that there's always cleanup to do. There's a lot of, a lot of work to do to get cleaned up, get the tables put away. We have a griddle here. We cook some things on. Someone has to go clean that off. So maybe, maybe you're sitting there visiting and you realize cleanup needs done. Someone says, well, they just don't feel up to cleaning off the griddle. They only had six hours of sleep last night. But what if you only had four hours of sleep last night, but you're feeling stronger than the person that had six? Can you get up and go clean off the griddle, even though that that person actually is less busy than you? Maybe they've had more sleep than you had. Maybe their schedule is emptier, but you can actually bear more. And so you should take it. So 
just remember that it's not always fair and equal and the most fragile people are not going to be able to appreciate ways that you're bending for them. Just kind of summarizing some miscellaneous thoughts on this topic. I want to look at, at kind of summarize three mistakes that I think we make when relating to the differences between the strong and the weak. Um, one is I think it's a very common mistake to look at what we think a person should be able to bear rather than what they can bear. So just remember that point. The other is always remember the difference between your perspective and the other person's perspective. It can look different at times. And especially when you're thinking about this, about the relationship, bringing my men back here. So when you're thinking about this relationship here and how strong it is, it's very possible that the two of you don't assess that this relationship at the same strength. Maybe you think that your relationship is strong enough that you can say something hard or difficult to someone and maybe they don't feel the same way about you. So try to remember your perspective versus theirs. Are you, are you keeping their side of their view of the relationship in mind? Also, as I've already emphasized, one of my three things I think is a common misconception is viewing things through the lens of fairness and equalness. It's, we all have to bear different loads. It's the strong bearing with the weak. When, when thinking about um, assessing how strong your relationship is with the person, I think, as I said, that the, the stronger our relationships are, the more they'll be able to bear without breaking. So um, when I think of that, I think of double booking. I've had occasions where I've double booked myself and I'm actually more likely to cancel out on the person I have a better relationship with. If I, if I have plans with my best friend and someone that feels a little bit, the relationship feels a little more sensitive, I'll actually probably cancel my best friend. I can call them up and say, hey, I'm sorry, I double booked. I can't come. And they'll understand. Whereas if it's someone that feels kind of fragile, um, I, I'm worried I'm going to offend them. So the point is, the stronger relationship is, the more they can bear. Questions that we should ask when relating to others is how strong is this person? What are they going through right now? How will other current circumstances in their life affect their ability to handle this? Maybe maybe you need to speak into someone's life. Maybe you're having a disagreement and one of you is going to need to give in to the other. Ask yourself the question, what, what else is this person going through? What other load are they bearing? Can I help bear their burden by giving in, giving up my opinion? And I like to think of it in terms that giving in, when I give up my opinion for the sake of a brother, that's actually helping to bear that brother's burden. That means that instead of them needing to bear giving in to me, I, I can give in to them. I think another good question to ask when relating to kind of differences of perspective in the church is does this represent a personal preference or a spiritual conviction in this person's life? And where I was reading in Romans, where it's talking about eating meat offered to idols um, and how we should be careful not to offend people. I think that's exactly what I was talking about. But the thing to remember is that once again, what you call a spiritual issue versus a personal preference and what the other person does may be two different things. So I was trying to think of an example to give that would be off the wall enough. It wouldn't offend anybody, but, um, I was thinking of chocolate versus vanilla ice cream. Imagine you're planning an event together and you have to decide whether you have chocolate or vanilla ice cream. So on the surface, that might seem like solely a, a, a um, personal preference. One of you can just give in. It doesn't matter. It has no spiritual implication. But what if I don't think this would ever happen in real life. But just to illustrate my point, what if the brother you're working with actually really feels like chocolate ice cream is wrong. It has a little bit of caffeine and theobromine in it. And they think that that's just something that we shouldn't be taking in. And so they actually, for some reason, have a spiritual conviction against chocolate ice cream. So obviously that's an extreme example. I hope you never bump into that. But the point is that we can run into things like that in life where something may be a personal preference, but to the other brother, 
it can literally be an offensive thing where they have a, they, they feel a spiritual conviction against that. So, um, remember to ask yourself that question in life. Is this a personal preference or a spiritual conviction in the individual's life and relate to them accordingly because you don't want to f- offend them? The closing verse that I have is Ephesians 4. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So I think that just sums up really well. We want to bear with one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace. And thinking once again of our um, two men here that are relating to each other. So remember, there's weaker people and there's stronger people. And we want to get to the end with no one being broken. We don't want anyone in life to bend to the point where they snap and literally break off like this person does. And that's the goal of it all, that we don't want to have broken relationships. We don't want to have broken people that are broken beyond repair. And it's for that reason that the strong need to bear with the weak. We can bend further than the weaker brother can. And so we should, because we want to all make it to the end of life and the end of time without any any broken brothers or sisters around us. So thank you. That's all I have. Well, thank you, Lamar. That was really good and lots of lots of good um, advice and teaching in there for us. And and I and I would say probably that the stick your stick figures there. That was really I really like that too. It's, I know I had some comments on on the chat here that they appreciated that uh, your point about how we are humans in common tragedy together. We're bearing the curse together, like Romans says. So as you were talking, you, you read from the passage from first Corinthians 13, um, the love chapter. And, and I have, I have a question for you that I think comes in here. So in a discussion earlier this week, we're talking, it says love, you know, in there in the love chapter, love bears all things, believes all things. So in relationships with, with each other, should we, um, should we believe everything and trust everyone? It's because love, love believes all things. Do you have any comments or thoughts on that? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I, um, like I said, I was, I was excited about speaking about this because relationships is an important topic to me. I think it's something that really matters in our churches. And it's extremely sad to me to see to how many times believers don't get along with each other. Just, it just, um, just, um, discredits everything we have to offer as Christianity. So anyway, is what I'm aiming to say is that I was really excited to speak about this. But when I was thinking about the question and answer period, I was like, I think that's going to get a little bit challenging because <laughs> answering questions about relationships is not, I don't claim to be an expert. I think it, each situation takes a case by case, um, wisdom and discernment on it. So I don't know. I think, I think one way that I have viewed that in my life is, is a giving people the benefit of the doubt and B in the U S legal system, there's this concept of being innocent until proven guilty. I think that, um, we need to extend trust to people and believe things until proven otherwise. But, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess personally, I feel like it's pretty self-evident that there does come a point in life where where we have to maybe accept that that there's things that we can't believe from another person. Yeah, that's that's helpful. 
Oh, thanks. Okay, yeah, I, I I believe you that there could be a lot of questions, so and maybe some some tough ones. So so anyone else that's on this call, if you have a, if you have some thoughts or comments, questions for Lamar, now's the time to make him feel the heat on that. <laughs> yes, Lamar, uh, I really appreciate your talk and your um, your visual there. It really added a lot. So thank you. Um, you you gave a quote there about um, security in yep. relation. Would you have some way to post that on the chat or somehow provide that for me to read again? Yeah, sure. I can, I'll post that on the chat. Thank you. Go ahead. You don't have to this, wait. Okay, uh, take a moment to find it. This subject here is um, when you teach First Corinthians or something along that line. Uh, we, the, the context is the weaker brother who, interestingly enough, is in the biblical context, the weaker brother is the stick figure who, who is rigid and, and sees everything as black and white. And so the eating the meat offered idols and so on. And so we who are strong, um, we, we bend, we bend, we, we work there with him. The interesting thing though is maybe it's the other way around. Um, so may, so that, that rigid person, he adds lots of stability to the flexible guy over here. And so we often think of needing to we need to, we need to bend and we need to facilitate and and sometimes I think in my mind and I another brother pointed this out that sometimes we don't know which one is the weak and which one is the strong so let's just say for example my my example won't be quite as good as vanilla and chocolate here but so let's say I I have a brother who who thinks I can watch movies and that's not a problem and you are just you just don't understand. You're too sensitive. That's, you know, you just, you're the weak brother. In reality, maybe, maybe he is the strong brother. And it's this guy over here who can just bend and do whatever. He, maybe he's the weak brother. Uh, so when, yeah, whenever I, this subject comes up, I, my, my, my mind goes back to that because I think, uh, we need to evaluate where we fit and just because we're the flexible guy with the smiley face doesn't mean that we're the that we're actually the strong guy um and i think that's the way it gets portrayed sometimes it's like we'll just get over it and you know um you need to be we need to help this guy here who's who's weak and, and you know the poor he's he's conservative he's rigid he's weak he can't handle this he has a weak conscience um <coughs> Anyhow, that's it. Just there's no answer to that. I don't think it just gives me some food for thought when I approach these situations. Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's really important to always make sure that we're thinking about the possibility that we could be the weak person. I, I don't think I don't think any of us like to think about think in terms of us being weak. 
but in a relationship um, where there's a disagreement, I think it's, it's, we have to realize that there's a possibility we're actually the weak one. So. Hey, Lamar, it's Kent. Um, question for you. So I've noticed this in my own life that I, I do. I start to look at the actions that I take against those who are around me, who I'm in close fellowship with. And if I start to ask that, is this going to, is this thing going to actually, you know, help or harm uh, another brother or sister? It's, it's kind of a good litmus test. But then I'll ask the question to you if you've got any wisdom for the group. How do we keep ourselves from putting our own, our own persons in bondage to asking that question all the time and, and always being concerned that, oh my goodness, did I just eat the wrong granola? because this is going to cause a brother to sin, right? It's, 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 and then do I become a weaker brother <laughs> to a stronger brother who has no issue with granola? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, if I'm understanding correctly, you're, you're saying, how do you keep from just sort of obsessing over this and then like worrying about all the time, um, whether or not right. you're doing something that is offending someone. I think that it's important to do the best we can, but another kind of, I would say, competing concepts that I think about sometimes is that we do need to remember that we're pleasing God and not people. And so um, it's like sort of like the quote I was reading about our like where our basis for security is. Is it is is our, is our security rooted in how other people feel about us and how um, like how how we're performing in other people's eyes or is it rooted in other things? And I think our security ultimately needs to be rooted in our in in God and whether or not we're, we're pleasing God and not pleasing men. So I would say those, those two concepts have to sort of be held in tension with each other. I don't think they're contradictory necessarily, but um, it, it, I think it definitely is a problem if we become too obsessed with just worrying about how, how we measure compared to other people. I don't know. I, I'd be interested in hearing answers from other people. I'm sure there's people on here with more wisdom than I have about it. So. Thanks, Lamar. Thanks for your presentation, Lamar, this morning. I, I appreciate it. I needed it. Um, question, two questions for you, a two-part question. What happens when I feel the, both the chocolate and vanilla guys both claim a sense of conviction that I'm, I, it is a matter of conviction to both of us. How how then do we just practically resolve that without the stand, standard answer of, well, just walk away from each other? The second part is, how do I respond to someone who claims their chocolate is a conviction but is incapable of offering any cogent explanation and, and any explanation they do offer is, is completely preference, but they're claiming conviction. And I, I was trying to decide whether we're going to keep this in the chocolate or vanilla or be real. And I've decided to be honest about it. I'm in healthcare and there's a vaccine mandate for COVID vaccine in healthcare. There's a religious exemption clause. Well, what is a religious exemption? The wording is a deeply held religious belief. And I've had people, the best they can give me is, I don't want to defile my body. But, but can't get any more specific than that of how this would defile or how, or, you know, and I've or even heard thinner, thinner reasonings 
well, they can't mandate that. Well, that, that, that's not a deeply held religious belief. That does not rely, rise to the level of conviction. How do we walk through that in relationship and brotherhood? That's an excellent question. Um, and I, I, the main thing I would emphasize is I think all these situations just take a lot of patience and discernment. And I, like I, I, the point that you made that I really like that I just want to kind of play back is the thing of looking for options other than just walking away from each other. Because um, I think that's way too often what happens is you mentioned the thing where both sides think they have a religious conviction. And usually the outcome of that is just is just a display of fireworks and it's all over and they part ways and and that's the end of it. But um, I think it I think we need to have patience with each other. Um, we need to um, I, I like the scriptures about um, relating to others in gentleness and I guess trying to understand the other brother's perspective, understand hopefully in the process of trying to understand their perspective it becomes clear that it either is a is a conviction or it becomes clear they don't have a basis, but I don't know. I, it's, I, I've been in scenarios exactly like you're describing and it can be a real challenge, but I think we just need to, what, one thing that I look at in my life is there's so many scriptures about loving each other and getting along with each other and having good relationships. And, you know, how can you say you love God when you hate your brother? Just so many of them. And so when it comes down to maybe some trivial practical thing in life that we're arguing over, um, I say, is this is this such an important thing? Is this is this conviction so strong to me that I I can um, kind of ignore this whole set of scriptures on on relationships um, to kind of stand up for that conviction? Um, and if not, I think it's better to just back down and say it's 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 not as important as we think it is. Okay, good discussions here. We have we have a, a question on the chat. Um, it says, "Good talk. How do you handle a strong brother that the only time they reach out to you it is to admonish?" Well, I'm not sure what to say to you if you're if you're feel like you're the the weaker brother in that situation. But is what I would say to the strong brother is remember the remember the relationship. Um, because in reality, if, if you're, if the only time you're reaching out to someone is to admonish them, you're just going to break the relationship. Um, you'll probably offend the person as well, but, um, it's, it's also very likely that the person that you're trying to, um, the person that you're trying to admonish is just going to kind of cut themselves off from you, even if that doesn't mean physically parting ways, at least emotionally. Um, so it, I find it easier to answer that question for the strong person than the weak person. The point is you need to develop a relationship with the person and make sure that they can tell you actually love them and care about them. If you're the weak person or if you feel like someone is always just coming at you with admonishments, I guess you could proactively on your end reach out and try to um, relate to them and do things with them and invite them over for meals or relate on some level other than just waiting until they come to admonish you, kind of be proactive and, and reach out to them before they reach out to you. I'd like to suggest that uh, the person who is always, always, always trying to admonish other people is just acting strong. They're not really strong. I, I agree. 
alternatively, if I could offer a different perspective, um, if that person is all the time harping on everyone, that, that may be a different matter. But it could mean, and this is difficult for me to accept, uh, I don't say this from a position of having had this well, that, that they actually care about you and their version of showing love and relationship is not your version of love and relationship, but they actually do care. Um, and, and that, and that's hard to accept, but you're back to the stronger, weaker that yes, they should show more relationship and love, but their admonishment may be the way they see loving you. The other question I would throw in here, Lamar, and and I'm sure, I'm confident this is not what you're aiming for, but it feels like this is a slippery slope. I'm a black and white guy. It feels like this is a slippery slope toward a lack of accountability. Well, I just have to keep bending and bending and bending and bending, and they can be manipulative, and and I just have to keep bending. It, It feels like this is headed toward no accountability and enabling not discipling. I'm, I'm confident that's not what you're driving toward. Um, can you throw us a crumb or two to uh, assure the, the skeptics of that? That's a yeah, that's a good question. I I think the the perspective I would have on that is that um, you mentioned earlier that if someone is admonishing you, maybe they do actually care about you or do actually love you. And I think that if we love enough, if we love our brother and if we're actually going to help that brother bear his weaknesses and we can see a weakness in his life, it's on us to to help uh, minister to the person or disciple them and help them grow because um, ultimately, ultimately we want them to grow out of that. So I think the, I think my thought um, behind what I'm sharing this morning is not so much about if, or if you um, reach out to them or not, but more a matter of how you do it and and kind of what that means. Um, Because I totally agree that it's, it's one of those things that needs to be held in tension with other scriptures about speaking into each other's lives and holding each other accountable. And also, um, I would just point back to the quote that I read about making sure that it's the truth that is offending and not your approach or your attitude behind it. Um, because I, I think Paul made it clear that sometimes others are offended by the, by the truth. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got some really good conversation going on here. Um, so one thing that, that I've, that I'm thinking about Um, in a real practical level. Maybe you have some thoughts on this, Lamar. So on a real practical level, like when you actually are um, approaching a brother about a situation, I've, I've heard it said that you want to, you should be careful that you don't do the, Bologna sandwich, the bologna sandwich thing, you know, you get praise and then criticize and then praise again. You know, that's the bologna sandwich. I, I guess it depends on whether you like bologna or not, whether you think bologna is belongs to the outside or the inside. But, um, what, what's, what's your thoughts on that, Lamar? What is a good way to actually 
make to show love in a situation where you need to uh, bring some accountability or bring, yeah, when you, when you need to actually test that uh, relationship. I like that bologna sandwich illustration. I never heard that one before, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so I think that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those things that you need to, it's back to this thing. You have to be showing care for the person aside from just when you want to admonish them. Like that's not the only time you're talking to them. And the other thing that I've found really helpful in my life is just simply remembering to pray for that person because it, Sometimes if you feel like a person is being the weaker brother, it, it's really easy to start feeling actually kind of frustrated at him and irritated at him. And it has been um, I've been impressed in my own life how when you um, pray for someone for a while, it just really changes your attitude and your heart towards them in a way. And I think that is I, I think that will make a difference. Not not so much that your prayer for them is is. I'm not talking as much about what your prayer does for them as what it does in your own heart towards them. I'm talking more about how your prayer changes you than how it changes them. But yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a good question. But I would say that that, I also feel like there's a, like an element of, um, sort of insincerity in that. If you're just throwing the bread on the, like doing, making the bologna sandwich, I, I feel like there's a level of insincerity there. And, I don't know if it works or not. The people in my life could probably say better than I can, but I feel like um, I, I kind of live with this hope or this trust that if I sincerely care about the people around me where I, I really make sure that in my heart, I do love them and care about their, and um, care about their well-being, that even if I make mistakes and even when I stumble, even when I do offensive things as a sum total, if that is my sincere heart, I, I think it's going to show. And vice versa, I don't care how much bread you slap on the bologna. If you actually resent the person and don't like them, that's 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 going to show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Anyone else? Maybe um, at the risk of being a little bit off topic, uh, sometimes in in church there does need to be um, excommunication, and um, the the goal of that is for redemption of the person, and uh, it seems somehow that that's a a very rarely reached goal. Um, I don't know how often I've seen somebody be excommunicated and then uh, loved back into the church. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Why that phenomena may be? Um, no, the honest answer is that I mean I, I agree with your observation. I don't feel like I have any answer to it, so I'll defer to someone that has a better answer. Is your thought that it? Um, is your thought that maybe the the church is too offensive in those cases? No, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it, perhaps that is the case. I don't know. Um, but just the scripture outlines that, you know, the, the goal would be that um, this is not a permanent um, state. 
Uh, First Corinthians 5 talks about this uh, person who was in sin, who was supposed to be purged from the group. And then in Second in Corinthians, it, it appears to be talking about the same person where it says, you know, like receive them back and, uh, you know, lest they have too much, um, you know, lest be overcome with grief and, and so on. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It seems like the people that I've seen that were excommunicated, uh, never came back or they went to another church or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I understand it's a little bit off topic and, uh, <laughs> didn't know if you have any thoughts though on that. I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's really too far off topic. Um, but I just don't feel like I have any, any real good thoughts off the top of my head to this, but that's a really good question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciated the, the talk. Can I be a little off topic? No, go ahead. Someone else go. I'll go. just throw a thought in on the excommunication. Now, I'm not a fan to quickly jump in with excommunication, but a thought that I have is, do we perhaps drag it out too long and wait too long until the person is actually kind of hardened and just resisting stronger to where finally he's excommunicated? It's pretty well over already. Would it sometimes be better to do it sooner when there's obvious signs of whatever signs are there than to wait so long, perhaps he wouldn't be so hardened and it would bear fruit sooner. I, I actually have the same thought. I think that's a, I, I think that's an interesting perspective. I, I, I about thought of saying a similar comment. Then I thought of the outline of Matthew 18 of, um, kind of going to a brother alone and then going to him with another brother and then taking him before the church and sort of escalating it. And obviously if you go through those three steps um, and the brother still hasn't, still hasn't amended his ways. Um, uh, apparently he's, he's pretty hardened already. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. May I talk now or no? I'm, I'm just coming at this with a different, yeah, everybody smiles. Uh oh, here he goes. No, but I come at it from a post prison program where I work with men who are used to manipulating and you have to put a stop. No, I'm not putting a video on. I'm not dressed. <laughs> somebody, somebody wants me to get to my video. Nope, not doing that one. Anyway, I have my shirt off. Anyway, I deal with a lot of men that are steeped in sin, and we have to get a result quickly. Unfortunately, those kind of critical conversations, I think, have created some of this presentation because I've been difficult in Lamar's life and my board of directors. Um, maybe I'm taking too much on that. But I need to know how to soften my approach, and I struggle with that sometimes because if I let the guard down in a prison program – and then what will happen is I will get manipulated. And so what happens is I transfer that hardness over to my church and I create four feet all around me. Um, and I don't know if it's more of a question or a statement. I don't know. I just know that if I don't like I had a guy yesterday, uh, the other day, he was an arsonist. He had 11 charges. And I said, you know, out of all your charges, none of them bother me, but the arson. And he says, why is that? And I said, because when you get mad, 
You burn people. <laughs> and that scares me more than anything because you're a subtle, you build esteem and then you react. And that direct approach had him break and I could hear the breaking on the telephone. And he said, but that's not who I am now. And I had to listen to the other end of it. And so I guess this is an apology for being such a hard person and not turning on my video when the host says to. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing is, don't, I I know the Bible says, you know, be lily foot and walk around and don't hurt anybody. But sometimes the best way to bring somebody up is to be direct. Quit dancing around it. If there's a turd in a punch bowl, tell them. And, you know, there's no polite way of saying to somebody, hey, that thing that's floating in the punch bowl is not healthy for us. I'm done. Well, I think I think one thing I, I I've probably already said this, but just to reemphasize, I think whether we <clears throat> whether we feel like we need to take a sort of a strong approach to someone or a more gentle approach, I think at the end of the day, our objective should always be to do whatever we feel is most effective for that individual um, and whatever is the most likely to bring redemption, whatever case we're dealing with, whether it's a prisoner or a church member or whatever. And the approach may be different in different scenarios, but your objective should be a sincere desire to do what is best for that person. And I think that's going to take discernment. It's going to vary from one time to the next. Then you're going to make mistakes and you're, this, you're, you're a human being and that's fine. This will be a general statement. The only <laughs> difference between prisoners and some church members is some of them went to prison. <laughs> I mean, they're just as hard headed, hard hearted. And I know Paul says to be gentle, but how do you move an elephant gently? If there's a problem in the room, you got to deal with it. How do you do it gently and lovingly? But that's why I I don't know. I just, I'll back down. Thank you. So, so Patrick, maybe. I think Paul. Yeah. Go ahead, Randall. I was going to say, Patrick, maybe if, if you have a struggle, Sometimes with with dealing gently with people who maybe need that approach more. I think those of us who are more used to that approach also need to sometimes need to realize it does take a direct. So take, we need to use some direct um, direct action. So some um, pretty strong uh, strong tactics sometimes. A lot of the splits that we have in the church are on feelings and positions, and you know you can dress it up with doctrine. But you don't get along with each other. And sometimes if you just wrestle with each other a little bit harder, you might do better in the fields. I have had intense struggles with people, and we come out of it smiling. And I don't think it's always them who are, you know, having to make accounts for me. Ask Lamar. We've had struggles, but we've come out of it stronger people. I think maybe I'm under a misconception. Lamar? No, I agree with you, Patrick. You're, you're on track. It's getting, getting uh, the thing that I think a lot of people underestimate is how much work it can be to get along with people. And like you said, maybe you have to just struggle (laughs) a little harder to get to the point where, where you actually can stay together. And I think, I think everyone, everyone is on board with this utopic concept that we're going to live in this, 
in this haven where everyone loves each other and cares for each other and gets along with each other. But when the rubber hits the road, it's a lot of work to actually get along with people and get along with each other. It takes a lot of frank conversation. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of just, I don't know what, just time. And, um, and so I think you're right on track to say just work through things. Ultimately, the love that we feel for each other will bind us together through that struggle. I'm, you know, I didn't come into this thing with this gentle spirit, and I don't expect someone to be gentle. But so my struggle has been to get you loud enough that you can yell at me, and your struggle has been getting get me quiet enough that I can be gentle with you. Well, Patrick, I really, I really like Wendell's um, thought that he gave in passing that, like, we have to remember there's differences of, of gifts in the church. And so um, different people serve different roles and may be effective with different sets of individuals. And so um, for some of us, the, the role may be more in a shepherding role and others, others, it might be more of an evangelist or a prophet or whatever you want to label it. So um, just for Christ. Yeah. So, so don't be afraid to use your gifts, Patrick, and don't don't um, be bothered if other people have a different set of gifts. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, go back to whether or not Pat Patrick says, you know, Paul says we need to be sensitive and whatever. Um, my dad's description of Paul was Paul put the plow on the ground, and when he came to a stump, the stump moved. Paul didn't move. Um, like Paul just pretty much laid it out. Um, but he still says we need to be sensitive to, to those who, who struggle and in, in the midst of our strength, we need to be sensitive. But I keep getting this picture from people that sensitive is run over with a tissue and wipe every tear of those. And I, maybe that's a false dichotomy that I have. You got to remember, Paul was a hitman prior to his career as an evangelist. And so his reactions and the way he dealt with things are were still based on a system of not very gentle means. I, I appreciate perspective, Patrick, and I think that's that's why that's why we need people like you, and that's why you need people like Lamar on your board. Uh, somebody pointed out recently that the prophet Nathan, when he went to King David, he started out gentle and round about the bush, told a story of, of somebody killing the neighbor's lamb. And when David didn't get it, he looked at the king who had the ability to have him killed on the spot and said, you are the man. We need both approaches, and that's where we need each other to balance each other out. And also, Lamar, one of the things I think about, this is Joel, is that in one sense, we kind of ask for these right answers. Like, what should I do here, Lamar? What should I do there? And it's a little bit more like each day God gives us and he tells us we're only responsible for today. We don't need this big right answer that's going to be correct in every situation. But as the Holy Spirit guides us and we have our time with God each day and we say, well, I kind of blew it here today, I think, God. <laughs> and and I, I think I'll do better next time I do that. That comes up in about a week. So for each of us in our own walk with God individually among the seven billion people on the face of the earth, 
we're all in a different place in our own relationship with God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. We have a an evaluation each day when we pray to God, I think, for him to to guard us and guide us and direct us like the Holy Spirit does. And we listen to the Holy Spirit. And then communion provides another practice judgment day for us, for those of it, especially for those of us who take it every week. It's like, man, I, I think I blew it with this fellow this week, you know, and and we can kind of judge our own hearts in a careful, humble way. Um, and that's as I've gotten older and made a million mistakes with these okay. things. That's helped me a lot to say I'm, I'm responsible and I can get this beautiful input from all my tender hearted brothers like this morning. I appreciate so much. But also I, I can use God's Holy Spirit to kind of judge me and tell me what I did wrong and right, what I could do better. So Amen. thank you, Lamar. Thank you, Lamar, so much. This was so beautiful. Amen. I really, I really agree with your point that there's no big, like one big right answer to these questions. It's a, it's a case by case basis and that's just the way relationships are. And it takes discernment and wisdom for every, every scenario you run into. So very well stated. Yes, very good. Uh, some good, really good. Thank you to everyone who, who chimed in here and, and really did appreciate the discussion that happened here, Lamar, even though you were a little nervous about that. I think that's really. Yeah. No, I, I enjoy the conversation. Um, yeah. it's, I, I don't mind. It's just, I don't feel like I have the answers. <laughs> right. Well, like, like you said, and Joel, and Joel just said, there's, there's not, I don't think we're going to be able to come up with a formula. It's not going to give us always the right answer for every situation. It's, but it, it is something to think about and to. Think about our approach. Think about what we're actually doing here. So thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, yes, thank you especially Lamar for coming on and, and sharing this. So our next, our next upcoming, um, morning strength to strength, we're going to have Brother Chuck Pike coming on again. And it's on, it's in the sacred writings uh, theme. You and. Excuse me. And he's on the topic of the Bible Jesus read. And I think this is going to be very interesting. Um, Chuck has done extensive research and study and he's very well read. And, and in, a, in a recent conversation, he's, he was, he was talking about how he, he, he picked up Greek <laughs> over the years. So um, he's a very, very, very talented brother, very, very well read on this subject. And I'm looking forward to it. So I uh, welcome you to join us on that uh, two weeks from now. And until then, maybe, maybe Lamar, if you lead us in a closing prayer here before we, before we shut this down. And yeah, would you do that? Sure. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come before you. We especially ask you for wisdom, ask you for discernment as it relates to our relationships. I just pray that you bless each of the people on the call here this morning bless them with the relationships they have in their life i pray that you would give them um, insight and wisdom to know how to relate to the people in their life properly i pray that you give us a heart of care and love for others lord fill us with your spirit that we could have your have your compassion have your love okay um just pray that you would forgive us as we forgive our debtors pray that um, you would
work in our lives to continue to chasten us and um, help us to grow, lead us to grow in you and what you want us to be. And Lord, I just pray for the Christian church in general, that there would be good, strong relationships that we could truly love each other as you and that we could be one as you and the father are one. So we just um, ask your blessing on each person that's participating this morning. Ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. And thanks everyone again for being on and, and God bless you and see you later. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.